Hey, y'all. Welcome to All About the Pod podcast with the University of Georgia Peanut Team. I am Macy Wheeler, your host, bringing you real-time updates from our scientists, extension specialists, extension agents, growers, graduate students, and everyone in between. All right. We're back again for episode 34 of All About the Pod. And today, we're going to try to share a little bit about what's going on this week. Boy, this has really changed as far as the weather goes. Today, we're myself, Mark Abney, Glenn Harris, Tim Brenneman, Wes Porter, and Bob Kimmerite. So we got a pretty good crew to kind of dice and slice this week up because there's quite a few things if this looks like it showed up. And I would think one of the biggest ones would be tomato spider wilt virus. It just kind of showed up with a vengeance. Uh, or it looks like it has. And I think that's just because we've turned from having cool, wet weather where the peanuts were just, everything was kind of look, looking pretty lush. And now we're got hot and dry and things are kind of draw back up a little bit in some of it. And it, it looks pretty rough. So with that, I'm going to open it up. Guys, what do y'all think? We, we're about halfway now. I know we got peanuts that are 95 days old and i would say i saw a picture of 95 day old peanuts that were loaded so that's a good sign but i've also seen some 65 70 day old peanuts that hadn't had a pig i mean a pod on it yet so i'm gonna i'm gonna jump in sky because i might have to leave a little bit but especially as dr Brenneman's here but the first thing is about tomato spot of wolf virus and mark talks about this every year we talk about this that that what's happening now was managed long time ago and so we we've anticipated that we could have problems with spotted wilt i was not a polgus southwest corner state earlier this week and it was just where, where i was it was just tremendous so uh, right now for spotted wilt we could go back and forth on why it might be bad we could talk about why it might get worse but uh, the bottom line is peanut rx and back when you're planting are decisions you need to make but what i'm go ahead i'm well, what I was going to say, the only thing I was going to say was one of the things that, that I would at least talk about is we need to document it a little bit more. We've asked our agents to do that one more time. Uh, this has turned out to be something that's valuable information. So I was going to say if a grower sees an agent out there, don't don't take and try to shoot him off or shoot him because it's good information for what he's and, gathered. And, and, so. if, and if a grower has a real problem with tomato spotted wolf virus, and uh, my favorite grower in Scrubbing County called me the other day and told me he's got a problem again this year, then then by all means for the agency consultants to help them understand what could have been. So right now it's a learning process. If you have a, if a grower has a problem, sees more than they thought they would, then then maybe we can go in uh, and address their situation or look at what they did or didn't do. Learn from that. But what I'm, I'm most concerned with right now is something we can do. And I'm going to ask Dr. Brenneman to comment on this, but you know, it was almost 80 degrees this morning when I left the house and uh, it's humid and I'm sweating early in the morning and I'm sweating all day long. And we can't do much about spotted wilt right now other than try and figure out why people have more than others. But the main thing is with the white mold is we are in a, uh, a situation where we need to be prepared. We need to be doing something about it. The conditions are absolutely favorable. Growth stage, nighttime weather, daytime weather. So, Tim, you want to... It's, yeah, it's a I, pleasure having you here today because we, we've got, we got a grown-up here with us today. I don't know how to turn it. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I'm sitting right next to you. And he leaves on that comment. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. It's good to have one other old man here. Yeah, thank you. We stick together. 
Uh, yeah, I think that's one of the most important things right now from a disease standpoint that can be something done about it is the white mold. Uh, if you look at mid-May planted peanuts, we're right there at 60, 70 days. Um, you know, that's if it hadn't been treated, fields hadn't been treated yet for white mold, they certainly need to be. The temperatures, these afternoon showers or on irrigated peanuts, either one, it is absolute prime time for white mold to be started. And that's one we want to be ahead of the game and get it headed off before it gets going. Right. Uh, you know, the other thing that can be managed right now to some degree uh, also is nematodes. And we've had real good, uh, got good data, good success with Propulse going out mid-season. And so now is the time, the, the later we go from this point, the less good it's going to do you. So if you're going to manage nematodes with something like Propulse mid-season, now's the time. Um, and we've seen good benefit with that for white mold and also leaf spite. So you get get multiple benefits there, not just the nematode. So if you're going to use propulse, that's what I've heard a lot of questions around that. If you're going to use propulse, you're really substituting that into a fungicide program, or I mean more or less. And you're getting the nematode. That's what you're after. But you're 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 not missing out on on your fungicide program. Is that correct? Yeah, propulse. One of the components is fluopyram, which we use in fur for nematodes and aspergillus. It's a good broad spectrum fungicide, very very good on leaf spot, and pretty darn good on white mold. Um, so you, know, you get at least three benefits in there when you add that in with the nematode control factor. Of course, getting it down to the ground for nematodes is important. Uh, if you can water it in or get it out ahead of a rain, We'll put it out early morning as a night spray is actually one of the best ways to do it. And maximize the benefit down in the soil on the pegs and pots. Now, what about, um, you know, with 12 wild, we talk about rhizotone and limrot, but we tend not to talk about that in a general purpose lately or as of late for other varieties. I mean, it's still a problem or can be if we got a lush, deep uh, canopy, especially on 12 wilds, right? Yeah. There's a couple other older varieties that used to have that susceptibility. Uh, and it's weird because 12Y is so strong on white mold. And there's some similarities in how white mold and rhizoctonia infect, but it has clearly got a weakness for limerite. And I think part of it is the excess lush growth. Um, most of our white mold materials have pretty good activity on limerite. It's just, again, a hard target because it's all, all through the canopy. <laughs> And down at the soil line. So, yeah, I mean, now, and it, it is starting now too. We've had some rhizoc samples come in already. Okay. And um, as we get into the season, they're talking about storms potentially coming. They they mentioned one this morning I saw on the Weather Channel that could be coming into the Gulf potentially. In those situations, we're 60, 70, 75 days. I mean, when we've got a storm like that coming and we're going to drop a lot of rain, do we tighten our our spray intervals up or change fungicides around? Or, or what, what are some of the recommendations in those situations when you might not be able to get into the field, but net, you know, if something come, come through? The first thing would be to get out ahead of it and spray. And particularly for white mold and limerite, having that rain coming in behind it's actually a good thing and getting your fungicide moved down. But you have to have fungicide program there to start with. Uh, for leaf spot, that's where your systemics might play in. 
If you're concerned about leaf spot, your systemics, if you can get them on there and give them time to get into the plant, they'll weather that storm better than a straight protectant like chlorothalonil, uh, which can be washed off with enough rain. Okay. Um, some of the other issues cropping up, Mark, I saw a lot of moths flying around. I saw some holy peanuts. You know, you know how growers respond. Uh, what, what are you seeing out there? Anything to worry about yet? Uh, I'm not worried about anything. I mean, it, people get tired of hearing me say the word scout, but that's really all you got to do is scout. And then when you have a problem, we treat it. It's not like not like with diseases where you got to be in front of it right if you get behind disease you're out of luck if we don't have to be preventative with insects and so the way to know if you've got them is to scout for them there's a few things going on i mean we're always going to see caterpillar numbers start to pick up this time of year this, that's common uh there's still lesser corn stalk borers out there uh scout for them if you got them spray them if you don't have them don't spray them um Trying to think, there. I was going to actually. I had a question, a white mold type question. I sprayed a latest and Miribus, uh two, well, not last week because we we're in April, it's the week before, right? So this will be two weeks since. So I don't normally extend my spray interval because I use a premium program. I stay on a 14 day schedule because I'm research. doing research, right? And you get your chemical free. Some of it. <laughs> some of it. I don't get as much free as some other people, I don't think. Maybe I don't ask the right people, but at any rate, I did get that for free. Thanks, Wilson Birdlaw. Um, but uh, so what should I, when should I be out there? I mean, when's my next spray? When should it be? Should I, should I spray today, which would be two weeks or should I, can I wait till next week? I got other stuff to do today, but if you tell me I should be spraying for white mold, I guess I'll do that. I don't know. What's your rotation? I mean, it's those peanuts. I mean, cotton last year. Two years ago. I mean, it's two years of cotton. Probably two years of cotton between. I mean, it's a research plot, so it's whatever they planted, but it's cotton last year. So if I had peanuts after peanuts, I'd be spraying this week. Well, yeah, what I'm saying is three or four year rotation, you could probably get by. What I'm saying is there are no three or four year rotations that I'm aware of left on on this campus. There might be one somewhere, but not anywhere I do peanut work. Two years is about as good as we can do, and a lot of times it's one. Yeah, most of ours, like at Ponder, that's every two, it's it's every third year for peanuts. Right, Ponder and Gibbs, we do good, but most of my stuff's at Lang, and I'm very often in the same spot. Sometimes it's the same spot I was two years before. Yeah. Well, just, I mean, to get down to your question, uh, we're using the high rate of Elatus. Mm hmm. And you would, we've had, Pretty good luck with that on a 30-day interval. Uh, you know, if guys want to be most proactive and get the best program out there, I would recommend coming in in between with something, be it as simple as a tip. tip That's right. what I was planning on doing, but I just wanted to hear somebody that was an expert say it was okay. <laughs> <laughs> you see how he puts you on the spot there. Yeah, yeah Abney's good. Yeah. He says it's your fault. Well, Abney, I thought I wanted you. I got a okay. question yesterday. At the Expo Field Day, um, got interviewed by a couple of people, and we got to talking about the new technologies coming, you know, resistance to leaf spots and and more tomato spot wilt resistance. And somebody had brought up the question about 
the problems with lessers, the problems with rootworm, which is an issue, uh, and even the problem with burr bug. And they go, well, why can't we just have resistance built in for them? And and I said, and the one thing I did say is we don't have any natural resistance to them. And they said, well, they put resistance genes in corn and soybeans all the time. Why can't we do that in peanuts? And what would be your answer to that? Well, there's, I guess there's several answers to that. One of them is, is you got to have a gene, right? You got to have resistance, and whether we have it or not in the in wild peanuts, we don't know because probably nobody's screened for it. But the other thing is, there's got to be a a market acceptance of a GMO. If you're talking about putting a gene in something, we could there are genes we could put in peanuts for lots of things that we know what they are, right? We don't do it because there's no market acceptance for GM. So there are no GMO commercially available GMO peanuts. So. I think that there would have to be a an existential threat to the peanut industry and some sort of food security issue in the U.S. before we're going to like go down that road, right? Because right now we can grow enough peanuts to feed to, to meet the demand, and so yeah, we don't want people don't want we I don't want, I don't care, but public somebody doesn't want GMO peanuts, and so we're not going to get GMO peanuts now. From the standpoint of conventional breeding, could we find host plant resistance to any one of the insects that you just named? Quite possibly. But if we think about it from a practical sense, it's probably it's going to come with a tremendous amount of effort, right? The breeding effort to get that would be tremendous. And so... What's the motivation for that? What are, what are we breeding for mostly? We're breeding for yield mostly, yield right? quality, yep. And then when we do breed something that really works awesome, that's resistant to something, it's like not just resistant, like immune to it, Dr. Brenneman. Do, do, do growers plant it? No, because it yields 200 pounds less than Georgia 06G. Yep. So, so if we had a burrower bug resistant cultivar, unless it was the very best cultivar and everybody was planting it anyway, I don't think anybody would plant it because burrower bug is so sporadic that somebody would say, for example, you can turn, you can deep turn your land and greatly reduce your risk of burrow bug, but growers who have burrow bug problems and have had them historically won't turn their land because they say, I'm not going to spend that extra money. So it can't be, it's not as big a problem for them as you, sometimes you may, they may make you think it is, right? Burrow bug's a big deal. But unless burrow bug problem happened really consistently over a lot of acres, nobody's going to take the yield loss every year because they might have burrow bug one year out of right, ten. Or right, whatever. And it's the same thing for any other insect that you think of. Whatever it is, either has to be such a problem like spotted wilt was that there's no option. We either got to plant this or we're not going to grow peanuts. Or it has to be the best variety cultivar we have, so that, it, or it has to compete equally with it, or else they're going to plant the other one. At least that's what I've seen. When well, I, no, see I the think the nematode-resistant lines would be a perfect example, example right? I mean, you're essentially even, immune to the pest. Yes, but there's been a, a <laughs> little bit of a yield drag there, and so the acceptance has been slow. Yeah. Yeah. Tip NVHG may conquer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We hope it does. We hope it does. So anyway, and I. It's just to follow up on that, there are peanut lines on this campus in freezers that have good insect resistance, but they're GMO. And just like Mark said, the, the, the industry as a whole, peanut industry, made a decision years ago. We were not going to go that route. Yeah. Other crops did. But for a variety of reasons, the industry said, no, we're not going to go that route. So the technology is there. It's in place. There's peanut lines that have GMO resistance. Mm-hmm. 
but as an industry, we've said, no, we're not going to adopt them. And that, that is, we're one of the last crops, right? Row crops, I would think, that has that yeah. is non-GMO. And, and the other question to that was, they were like, okay, well, so y'all can get stuff out of wild species, so we can have this thing fixed in three to five years. It's like, no. <laughs> No, we're looking at a you know a decade or better. Sounds like uh, uh, a David Bertioli guest or that's exactly that's exactly right. Maybe we need to bring them good. on where yeah. we can talk with them. But it's just, it's just kind of interesting because there was a lot of talk about you know because people are going around seeing the corn and seeing other things and they're talking about this genes and that. Yeah. And so and then we get the peanut and go, well, why can't we just solve this? Well, they're great you know? questions, and for for caterpillars, it would like you said that's they're probably BT genes, right? So they could probably the caterpillars. Um, most of the foliage feeding caterpillars don't matter as much as we think they do, right? From an economic standpoint, but it would probably take lesser corn salt more off the table. It's highly susceptible to BT, yeah. And so if you had a BT peanut, we probably would not talk about LCB anymore. I've even gotten asked why I don't have a Roundup Ready peanut. Yeah, that make Roscoe's job easier. <laughs> well, it yeah. might, but then again, it make cotton folks mad as hell at us because we we can't get them out of the field now. So as a volunteer, so I'd hate I hate to know. I hate to know. That's one good. That's another good reason for that one. <laughs> so that was that was one. Can't have them all. <laughs> so Wes, we're um, we're definitely going from rainy and moderate temperatures to hot here. You know, this week is probably the hottest week. Next week, we're going to drop back down into normal temps, but still, we're moving now. I mean, this crop is this crop is growing now. It's starting to grow real well. Uh, people are saying, well, it's going to catch up. It might uh, catch up some of the time. I don't know that we're going to catch up fully. Um, but where are we at as far as, you know, or, or at least talk about trying to keep up irrigating wise versus sunny days that are 95 plus what does that mean as far as you know the amount of water that's lost versus what we can put out yes you know what's funny about that i've checked the, the weather stations the historical data now uh four or five days in a row checking et and temperatures and our temperatures while overall they've been warmer this week and we've been predicted to be warmer believe it or not we had higher evapotranspiration rates from june the 24th until about july 2nd so i don't know if it's um We've got a, a smoke cover right now that's causing that. I, that's hypothetical. Don't even. I'm not even going to go down there. <laughs> but um, I'm uh, hypothetical. Yeah, maybe our maybe our wind maybe our wind's a little bit lower now than what it was then. Our our humidities have been dropping every day by about midday down into the 60 to 50. Even sometimes you look later in the afternoon, we're 40 percent humidity. So which led me to believe that we would have had higher ET or evapotranspiration rates this past week than we've had. But I checked five minutes ago to make sure all the way up until um, yesterday and around Tifton we had this week we averaged 0.22 inches per day up to 0.24 inches per day. If you go back and look any weather stations, I've checked them across the, the southern region of the state. That week I mentioned late July, we had ET values up to 0 0.27, 0 0.28, somewhere in there um, depending on where you're looking. And so we're looking at a, not a lot of difference between those, but it just kind of amazed me that we we're actually hotter back then than we were now. So something was a little different. I Relative humidities, I think we're on average a little bit lower that week than they are this week so even though it does dry down a little bit but we have been hot you're exactly right um what it's done for me is it, it's put me in a little bit of an anxious scenario that i feel like we need to be irrigating i feel like we need to be on top of it because we went from 
I've mentioned, you know, I've been on the podcast through most of June when it was raining and we kept having these periods of rain, uh, dry, rain, dry, it felt like. But then every time I'd say it's going to get dry, it would rain again. And that's fine. Um, but now we've gotten really hot this week, as you mentioned. And I'm like, all right, we should be irrigating. But I look at my sensors and we look at a lot of sensors across the state. If you've caught some of these adequate rain showers, you know, if you look back at rain, just like last week, I think, I think we got caught some big rain showers in Camilla on Sunday, Monday. It, I'm not saying it's everywhere. You, you're sporadic. Uh, it has not been around Tifton in a while, but like Camilla, we got over an inch on, uh, I think Sunday or Monday, somewhere in there. So some of these storms have formed and we've had that. If you've caught that, we really still have not triggered a normal irrigation event on our peanuts at Camilla, at the Camilla site up till now. And I was checking, I haven't gotten a report yet this morning. I was hoping I'd get it before I was on here, but I'm assuming our, our recommended trigger threshold on sensors will not trigger today, probably may not trigger by Monday. Um, check the weather too. I don't know if, if, how much y'all kept up with the weather, but up until about two or three days ago, what I kept seeing was rain, chances Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, kind of throughout. I checked this morning, we have what looks like pretty bad storms moving in tomorrow. They're saying small hail, high winds, some of that stuff um, across um, the southern region. And then after that, now the rain chances have dropped next week to down to 5, 5 10, 15% in the, what I would call the accurate near term. And so that kind of surprised me a little bit because earlier in the week when I checked, we have rain predicted. So, Scott, to go back to your point, even though we may not have triggered irrigation up till now and depending on what this little storm or big storm, whatever's going to happen overnight into tomorrow, throughout the day Saturday is going to do, um, we're going to need to start turning systems on. Um, I sent out a little email, quick email to our agents earlier this week. I think the critical thing to think about, as you mentioned, the crop was behind. It was wet early. I've mentioned this a lot of times. We probably did not put down as thorough of a rooting system as what we have in past years. Um, I can prove that with some data from other crops, even peanuts from the past. If we keep them wet, they never use uh, deep moisture. If we, if we push them too dry, too fast, they're going to the deep moisture too fast there's a fine line in there and i think we're walking that fine line right now and so you need to stay on top of it don't irrigate too early because we've seen yield reductions on peanuts we keep them too wet but on the flip side of that if we don't if you don't catch any of this rain coming through on uh saturday or tomorrow i don't know when y'all hear this but saturday um you probably need to consider starting to turn your systems on and we'll keep track of next week so i think we're going to be driving that profile out and i if i were you i would if you don't have sensors out in that field you need to go out in that field mark said scout i say the same thing you're out there scouting check some of your rooting depths maybe take a soil probe out there and just look and see what your moisture profile looks like in the soil look and see what your rooting depth looks looks like on these peanuts. See if you feel like it's as deep as what it normally would be or feel like you think it's shallower. What's going to happen if it is a shallower, more dense, shallower uh, rooting depth, we're going to dry that shallow profile really fast, more rapidly than normal. And with these hotter temperatures, high sunshine, higher solar radiation, that, that top three or four inches will dry out really quickly. And so we need to stay on top of keeping that replenished if that's one of the few places where uh, we're drawing most of our water uh, with the roots. So again, it's a case-by-case -case basis. We've had sporadic showers. We've had issues. It depends on when you planted those peanuts, where they're at right now. Depends on if they're behind, if they're on time. Scott said we got a lot of pods on some of our earlier planted peanuts. Definitely don't fall behind on those, but if you're still putting down pegs and it's hot like this, guess what Irrigator Pro used to target is soil temperature, right? We need that soil temperature to stay cooler so we can get those pegs in the ground and let them develop. 
lot of stuff going on right there. So, um, as Mark said, just be active, be active, watch the weather, individual places at your sites. Don't fall behind. If we lose, if we do lose that deep moisture right now, we're in late July. Um, it'll hurt us. It'll hurt us. We won't, we, if we don't, if we lose the deep moisture and we don't get any rainfall, you will not recoup it with irrigation. And I, you can argue with me all you want, but you will not recoup moisture deeper than 12 well, that's inches. Why- I've also, I use irrigation as an example sometimes because an old girlfriend of mine used to say, and he was notorious, he'd water two inches and then get two inches of rain right behind it. And he said, it it never fails, except for the fact I'm going to keep doing it because if I don't do it, it's not going to rain. And that's what I was telling a lot of, but we we had uh, all kinds of conversations yesterday. And and one of them was, well, we're getting 50, 60% chance of rain, so I'm not going to irrigate. And that's the wrong attitude to have. We don't wait on irrigation. I mean, we don't wait on rain to trigger or not trigger an irrigation. We need to go, because if it's dry, man, we start to stress, we've got to irrigate now. Man, any of y'all, I, I, I taught a special topics class this summer, focused on irrigation to some of our graduates here at Tifton campus and went through some of my data with them earlier this week. And uh, I said, y'all want to see how many times I've screwed up? I go through showing them the irrigation timing data and it'll show an irrigation event. And either that same day or the next day, there'll be like a two inch rainfall or an inch rainfall. And it's like somebody from the outside says, well, why in the world did you irrigate? if it's rained that much 50 percent chance to me don't mean jack right not for georgia this it, time it, of year <laughs> that's exactly right so i'm not if i if i'm if i'm a farmer and i'm sitting there saying my peanuts have hit stress am i going to wait on this 50 percent chance or am i going to put some moisture on them i'm going to put some moisture on them because i think the penalty for missing that rainfall and missing that irrigation is going to deplete me and put me further behind i know i caution everybody against overwatering cotton and peanuts but this a different scenario having a rainfall after an irrigation event when they needed the trigger versus just keeping them saturated the entire year that's not what that's two different things so if we're confusing those things we need to talk a little bit deeper those are not the same thing and so that happens to me every year and the other thing you have to consider when you think about triggering is when you're approaching that trigger point how long it actually takes your system to get around and apply it i talked a grower yesterday a lot of them will tell you he said we realized he was talking about cotton in this case we got some sensors on his farm he said we realized in the past we were triggering at this level but before our system got back around to where it started he said we saw we could see visible stress in that part of the field because it took that system so long to get around meaning that he should have been a little bit more preemptive on when he started that system and he says i've realized that over time so the question i get all the time too from general public as mark was talking about earlier with gmos is why don't you just irrigate at night it's cooler you know we probably have some dew falling it's going to be more effective efficient etc guess what we have probably less than 15 or 20 percent of our systems across the state that can make a full application to a field in um, in eight hours we cannot just irrigate at night because our systems are large capacity is not high enough it's usually going to take 24 to 36 hours on average for most of our systems to apply an application to the entire field and that's usually a half inch probably we're lucky if we're up at uh three quarters or above so that's another thing we got to consider how long is it going to take you a day and a half and i've talked to some guys it takes three days just take you three days that is a long time so that's that's a continuous run system almost this time of year right by the time you get back around to the start those peanuts have been without water for three days and we haven't got any rainfall we've had temperatures like this 
you know, we uh, two weeks ago or three weeks ago, I talked about our, what our soil water home capacity is, and we talked about needing it every three to four days. So, again, it's a logistical question at that at that logistical problem at that time. How long does the system take? When am I going to hit stress on the average part of my field? What am I willing to accept on stress on the back half? What am I willing to gamble for these random chances of rain? I don't know all y'all sitting around the table if you check the weather last night and the night before, but we had a chance of rain around 10 to midnight both nights, right? Those storms formed right. in North Georgia. Just, just but guess what happened? We got nothing here. Somebody told me in Abbeville yesterday they got a little bit. It was almost none. I think that's where it finally dissipated. Yeah. Apparently it was nasty in Athens last night. Email we all got said there's power out part of campus, but we got zero out of it. So you can't bank on that stuff, even though it's sitting there telling you it's coming, it's coming. And then every time it gets near Tifton to me, it just goes. Yeah, it splits around and it circles back. <laughs> yeah. and you're talking about Athens versus Tifton. We've had three good rains right here in Tifton. I haven't had a drop at my house which yeah, is yeah. six, seven miles away. Which is yeah. crazy. Well, that's exactly which right. Which is great. So, Glenn, I don't want to leave you yeah. out. Um, you know, I, don't, I can't remember last week if we talked a little bit about pH. And, and, and again, you go, well, hell, we're talking about pH. Yes, it's time This of time you're talking about yeah. Well, the reason I bring that up is I've got two calls this week and gone out and looked at them and then looked at reports and it's all pH. Yep. So, we've not yep. met our – what we needed to change pH yeah. uh, or something. Something slipped through. Are you seeing that or hearing yeah, that? Yeah, you know, I, I, I get a lot of call. In fact, I got one on cotton yesterday. Um, yeah, because things happen. Um, you know, new ground's one. And, you know, if you don't put enough on new ground, you're going to come up short. Um, you know, the farmer took on new land that he hadn't managed before or whatever. You know, these things. Some, and then, and then you, it's rarely the whole field. Um, you know, with spots, and if you're not grid sampling, you're, you you can miss some big spots. So there's a lot of reasons why it can happen. I think it's always an interesting question. Most people totally assume you get to this year, there's nothing you can do about it, and and, and we're getting a little late now. If you call me a month ago, no, I probably would say still, you know, if you can get in the field, we can put something out because your pH isn't going to go up till you do anything. You got you got to bring it up at some point, and you might at least help it a little because pH. You know, the old textbooks say it takes six months for the pH to us but you know there's enough fines in the line we use now it'll start coming up even with 30 days it's not going to come up all the way but it's going to start coming up it'll, it'll help you out yeah it'll help you a little bit okay. i mean every little bit helps right so um yeah it's 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 a it's a frustrating uh thing the other thing too is 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 if you, if you use the um i haven't had a lot of calls this year uh, compared to the last three or four it was starting to be a, a, a problem is that if you take your sample when it's wet in the winter time you think your pH is fine, and then you come to find out you're not. So, um, you know, I don't know what my phone's going on. Jeremy Kickler, sorry, Jeremy, I'm doing um, He just wants to be on again. Yeah, he, <laughs> uh, he might have a question. I should have answered you. <laughs> yeah, I'll call him you back. You could have brought him I'll call him yeah, back. But it'll um, speak for all you hear. Um, Anyway, that's that's another issue. Um, you think you're fine, but and it's that whole issue about the, the the salts got washed, you know, leached out of the soil, and it's a false high pH, and you weren't as good as you think. You didn't lime, and all of a sudden now, boom, you know, you got a real low pH. So, yeah, all, all the all those situations can happen. So, and 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 as easy as it is, and like I said, it's little patches. And I told them several times, I told one or two of them, I said, this is a perfect scenario where you could take a four-wheeler and mark those spots with a little GPS or or anything just to make sure you go back and and 
sample those by themselves after you, you know, after you get the crop off this year and make sure you fix it. And we still got old pecan groves. That can be it. Old, yeah. Old, yeah. You know, so that's causing some problems buildings. in places. And we always hear about those now. This is, I think, uh, Mark, I sent you a video the other day of the deer. Yes. Good so we've got, <laughs> we're, you know, each year we hear a lot about deer and usually it's on cotton. That's where we see most of the devastation. But, and, and I've seen one or two fields of deer over the years that's been eaten down pretty good. But this is the first year that I've had five to six separate cases going out where you go out in a 50 to 70 or so acre field that is tucked behind the woods a little bit and they have mowed it down. I'm talking about 65, 70 old peanuts are four inches wide. And we're blaming, you know, thinking it is something else. But you go out there and and some people say you can't smell deer, but in those situations, you can smell them. I had and it is, like a goat pen it's, It does. That's a good, I, I use the term hog parlor. Yeah. I can yeah. smell it and you walk away. But I mean, what I'm getting at is we're getting to see more and more issues with this, especially um, in places where you've got hunting clubs that will not shoot those and impressive enough somebody said well that must be you know you must have four five ten fifteen deer out there no you've got 50 to 100 or or more deer in a field at one time and so so i would i would appreciate i will say a farmer um back on the west side of the state sent me that video that I sent Mark. Where was that from, Scott? That was in Nicholsville, which is outside of Arlington, Georgia. I believe it is. Oh, yeah, there is. <laughs> but, I mean, it's I would bet it's 60 or so deer out there. I didn't there. try to count them, but it's insane. They look like rabbits. Yeah. Yes, rabbits. they're everywhere. Where's this from? And so that's from the west side of the state. But, I mean, I was in Valdosta. That was real bad. I was in East Georgia. That was real bad. And why they're coming out this year as much as they are. I had a call from I mean, County said it looked like they took a lawnmower. It's exactly right. Just mowed the field. That's exactly right. And so now the problem is now we There's have peanuts. got 65, 70 day old peanuts that are actually about 30 five days old that's that's where that's where you got to start this back over again because we're 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 only that wide they done took all the blooms and probably pigs and everything off because they had leveled it off every time and unfortunately the only thing we can do is you know yeah you can put a little nitrogen on try to help push them a little bit but the biggest thing is we got to get the deer off the field dirty pounds back and so that's going to be some of these products. And, you know, what is it? Malorganite hinder. There's a, um, what is it? A, uh, insecticidal soap I've heard. There's all kinds of little things I've heard. And at this point, I'd probably try everything in the kitchen sink, you know, or up under the kitchen sink to try to get, get them off the field. Because we've got to have, what, Glenn, one to two weeks of some free time here to get these things going, if they will. You know, if it's a late planting field, it's that's hard to come back from. Um, but I mean, we've got to release. We got to get them to release and grow. Two seventy yeah. works real well. Now, I don't know if we could get a. I don't know if I could unbolt bolt or even send me all that to kill as many as that one. Machine gun in that field. I think we'd have to go AR. Yeah, yeah. A good sixty one round clip, yeah. not the thirty. You might need that fifty there. caliber on a, on a jeep. You know. There you go. <laughs> You could level something, but I mean, it is becoming to be more of a of an issue, and we talk about it every year. And and uh, I mean, we you know every every area can do their part, but I mean, you got to have landowners 
side by side by side that are willing to take a bunch out. And, and I hate to hear that, you know, you would, you know, you would at least want to, you know, we're talking about just killing them, letting them go, but you would love for them to be taken to a place for food, you know, instead of letting them go to waste. But that's, that's a whole different story. But, um, so yeah, you know, don't, don't think we're not paying attention to that as, you know, the growers, we are, you know, um, we're seeing it. We know that there's a problem out there as well. Now, does that do anything for diseases? Cause any problems other than just them nipping it off? If you don't have a peanut out there, it's <laughs> I guess it doesn't matter. But that's a great matter. question. I don't know. I, I know it. You're talking about the smell. Back, I don't know, a month ago, when I was rating spotted wheel for the first time in some of my stuff. I mean, it literally smelled like you were on a farm in somebody's goat pen. Yeah. There were so many. You could see, I could see the pee on the plants. Like, like, and of course there's poo everywhere. But I just stand there and get, I get really angry. It's like, this is my stuff here. And these dang things right here eating it. There's nothing I can do about it. And I don't have, my living doesn't depend on it. And I can only imagine how a farmer feels. I mean, part of the question is, what inputs do I continue to put on these plants? Yeah, we're yes. talking about fungicides that are expensive. <laughs> yeah. If you're not going to make the crop anyway, you know, you're wasting your money putting that product on there. So where where do you draw the line? Where do you you know? Where and you that's where that if this was back mid May, early to mid May, you know, that we were having this problem, I would consider try to get them off the field and try to keep moving. But if you're talking about late June and July. I think my insurance man is who I'm talking to. You know, we need to we need to know what we can do. And like I told a guy down in Valdosta, it's all about do I need to, you know, how bad do I need to make a crop, which everybody needs to make a crop. But I would definitely, you know, if I would try and get them off and not spend a whole lot of money. And if we can get them off and get them growing and see what we can do, because everything's late this year. Or we can, like you said, go and have your insurance. And I don't know insurance policies by any means. I don't even know if they cover deer. So I would assume they do, but I don't know. Um, so Jeremy sent me a list of questions. Jeremy Kickler, county agent, Cockle County. Uh, so we can see how well we did today. Um, he had questions on nozzles, boron formulation, foliage feeding caterpillars, how much to irrigate now, what fun fungicide to apply at 74 days after planting, and his last one is how to kill big-ass weeds and peanut. Frosca's <laughs> not here. So. Did you tell him who was sitting around? No, I didn't even tell him who was. So that's well, the big-ass, the weed questions yeah, are easy. Yeah, go pull them up. Go pull them up. Uh, so uh, <laughs> nozzles, uh, I don't know, look at your catalog, I don't know. Um, Call simmer. Boron formulation. Most of your borons are boric acid derived. There's bells and whistles, but boron straight. Well, let me good. ask you a question on the boron. Yeah. So I've seen what appears to be more boron burn on the leaves. Mm -hmm. Is that because we're trying to put out all of it at one shot? Or is it just because we're mixing it with other stuff? I mean, what, what's called, is it my, a problem? I mean, my I guess would be the combination of the temperatures and the, and the mixing stuff. But we've always done that, right? right I mean, right. we've had hot days all the time, but uh, the only time I've really ever seen is where you overlap, and you, even a half pound of, of, of boron which is our top end of our recommendation shouldn't burn unless you overlap or something. Um, but you get these, you know, you get a bunch of tank mix, you get sulfur in there, you get something else, you get five, six things in the tank. 
And, and in that case, I'm not even sure it's the boron that's really doing the burn. In that okay. case, it might be okay. something else. Something. something yeah. Else. So, um, yeah. Um, the good news is I don't think it hurts it bad. Okay. But do you get the utilization of the boron in those situations? Um, yeah. I mean, as long as you don't fry the leaves off and they fall off, yeah, you, you probably, still get probably still okay. okay. Absorption. Okay. Yeah. Be probably all right. Um, yeah. Again, it's 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 question is, um, you know, how bad is it? And, you know, if it's, if it's really going to hurt it or not. Right. So what was the other question? I didn't mean to uh, I think we hit most of them. What fungicide to spray 74 days at the clinic? Now, not right? 75, 74. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that is an odd number. <laughs> well, we got quite a list you could use there. I mean, I would be using something with some white mold activity. Yep. So that uh, you know, straight bravo can uh, be part of the mix, but you need something other than straight bravo, be it adding tip to it, or you got... The latest Excalia, we sometimes it was a whole range that could fall in that category. So, Dr. Brim, you bring up a good point uh, about fungicides or just the topic again. Um, we are late. You know, this crop is late. The blooming is late. We are likely to catch up a little bit. We already have been saying even a 140-day-old crop as over the last several years with leaf spot and all that, we need to probably add that that seventh or eighth spray after or that one spray after 120 now but if we're now going to be 150 maturing some of this crop out where do we go as far and how do we approach that i mean a lot of people would say oh, i'll just keep putting bravo tab on it but is that the way we need to go or or what do we what's some recommendations for growers that knowing that they've got to take it beyond 150 well, you got to look at, um, I'd look at your disease pressure at that point, what you're dealing with. And of course, you need to look at pre-harvest intervals on some of these products. So that's going to affect that selection at that point. It's really going to be a case by case. It's hard to make a generic blanket recommendation for that. I'd say at this point, you need to manage the peanuts as if they are growing normally. And you don't need to try to delay, you know, like a normal 60-day application. Right, 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 right. need to stay timely with those. And we'll just have to take the late season on a case-by-case as, as the crop is developed by them. And that's kind of what, what some people are just trying to figure out, you know, how do I, how do I manage that? Because some of these guys tightened up here. And then, you know, if they expand back out, where does that put them at the end? And uh, and I know we, we take that based on the weather and whatever we got. Um, you know, and I'm beginning to kind of allude to all the growers or allude to the situation that we're in to all the growers that this whole cropping system, even for us to even determine what maturity and when we're going to dig is not going to be just cut and dry. We're going to have some fields that will go long and we're going to have some fields that we planted after the early ones that are going to come out first. And so we've got to, we're going to have to pay attention. And and that's part of what you were saying. Um, You got to see what your situation is. We also got to take samples, you know, 120, 130 days. And let's take a look at where we're at um, and start trying to figure this thing out. Because it's going to be a finessing type approach to this whole uh, harvest season this year. Well, disease control is always better, as was mentioned earlier. It's always better before rather than later and you don't want it to get out of hand so saving you know i've talked to guys before who's want to save some of their best materials for late make sure it carries them to harvest no get it out there 
middle season by you know 110 days or so where it can really do you some good and keep those diseases from starting on you. So you say it doesn't work if it's still in the jug? I could say that, yes. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> say that with great confidence. There you go. There's no ace in the hole, right? <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> not like that. Yeah. I mean, you got to. Can't keep it in your you pocket. Don't, you, don't, you don't score if you don't shoot. And the timing is critical. I mean, that the question there on Jeremy's about the nozzles. Yeah, we did nozzle work for a number of years. And it was surprised me that we didn't have more difference between nozzles than what we had. There's a way bigger difference in getting out there or not getting it out there, but the nozzles didn't have that big a difference. And generally, we used to use fungicide nozzles, which are real fine spray, right, right. You know, and that kind of thing, trying to get coverage. If you're using a straight protectant like chlorothalonil, that is more of a factor. But most all the other stuff we use have some degree of systemicity. And that makes them a lot more forgiving where you don't have to have that complete coverage of the leaf uh, to get the disease control because they're going to go into the leaf and spread to some degree and cover that tissue still. Right. And I would, by all means, you know, uh, like the guy that sent me the picture of the peanuts that were 95 days old, and I do appreciate it. Appreciate that, Jim. Um, I think all growers, if you got consultants and all, we should be pulling some samples up every once in a while, especially scouting. If we're scouting, we should be pulling some samples up. Um, you know, and if things look good to you or look kind of off to you, let your agent know. I mean, we really need to to monitor this the best we can so that we can try to make this season end on a good note. Um, I think I had one guy ask about yield potential. I think at this point, I would still say we have very good yield potential, uh, but it's all about the weather from here on out. Yep. I could, you know, I'd never tell you that you're going to make three tons, even though you got a potential to. I can't tell you you're going to make that because Heck, we could get in a drought. We could get anything between now and then. Uh, bad weather, too much rain, whatever. But I think if if we have the heat, we have timely rainfall or irrigation, and if September and October will be warm, I think we're still in good shape. Uh, we are going to have a bottleneck at the mine points later, and we'll talk about that as we go forward, uh, because we planted more in a seven-day window this year than we probably ever have planted, or at least in a long time. So, And that was around May the 15th to May 25th. So a uh, large percentage of things late. So just keep that in mind. Uh, know that we're, we're out and about taking a look around. If you've got things out there that you need us to look at, again, get a hold of your agents, um, you know, or, or let us know because we want to we want to be a part of trying to help you manage issues and and continue to do so so any other questions comments things that we're missing again thank you for being um, with us on episode 34 i hope i said that earlier you did 34 34 um you know it's hard to count that high <laughs> yeah, right out of toes and fingers. Yeah, no. shoes on. yeah I'm sitting here, but, but um, but no, we we appreciate it, and we'll see you around. again this time next week. Thank you.